I want you all to know that America today, America today is on bended knee in prayer for the people whose lives were lost here, for the workers who work here, for the families who mourn. This nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you! I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people... And the people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Well, 19 years later, do we still kneel before God and does the world still fear us? Stay tuned for this special episode of the 9-11 anniversary. Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And yes, welcome back, fellow patriots, to the Conservative Review Podcast here at Blaze Media. And it is Patriots Day here at CR. And I will tell you guys that I was hit like a by a ton of bricks yesterday in the middle of the show. Some of you might have heard it in my voice as I was speaking with Dr. Mark McDonald about the psychological effects of the COVID cult, the corona fascism, the corona communism. And... I said, you know what? You juxtapose the way we acted after 9-11 to now, and it is almost a sorrowful observation. You see, folks, entering into this anniversary, I recognize that this will be an anniversary like none before. Every other year, we commemorated certainly the heroism of the New York firefighters, the police, first responders, the people of Flight 93, our soldiers that were on the ready to react that day and thereafter, regardless of whether the political leadership had the proper mission in mind. Just the patriotism, the resurgence of love for country, unity, that percolated throughout every corner of this country even people that hated New Yorkers, you know, really uh, united and felt for them. And you look ultimately at the successes and failures. And often on 9-11 anniversary, and you can listen to last year's show, we actually had a video on YouTube of it. I had Michelle Malkin as a guest a year ago today. And I typically give a critique of how we hijacked that energy, that that willingness to fight and channeled it into nation building of Somalia and Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria and all this nonsense, which thankfully Trump is finally moving away from. And how rather than making this about domestic immigration policy, the Muslim Brotherhood networks in America, the immigration policies, we made it about foreign policy and the wrong foreign policy. And there's a lot to talk about that. There's a lot to talk about. But 
when you look back at this year 2020, it is the equivalent of a 9-11 every single day, but it's worse than that. 9-11, we were attacked externally. Right now, we are being attacked by the enemy within. Our own government is the enemy. Our own government is in that cockpit hijacking that plane. As much as our government hijacked 9-11 for the wrong message and didn't respond properly in the long run, at the very least, we could celebrate and say that the terrorists didn't win out in the sense that they didn't make us cower in fear. They really didn't. I understand it changed the lives of military men, certainly, you know, the fact that our civilian leadership let them down with some of those operations. There were certain so-called new normals that we talked about. But ultimately, there wasn't that much of a new normal. It didn't affect our lives in the long run that much. People were somewhat fearful, but nothing like this. There was no sadistic paranoia of your fellow neighbor, even though there was more reason for it. I mean, it was so chaotic, nobody knew where it was coming from. Um, The understanding was we would see these spectacular fireballs of attacks and bombs in in the coming days and weeks. It truly is one of the more shocking, in, in in a pleasant way, shocking outcomes that we never had something that spectacular. We have had a number, dozens upon dozens of small scale attacks from terrorists that we let into this country, Shabaab, Al-Qaeda, Muslim Brotherhood, um, and we continue to do so. But typically the reason why we talk about immigration policy, Islamic immigration, the Muslim Brotherhood, is because we have a beautiful country to preserve from external threats, and we have to focus on external threats. Now that the enemy is within, it's almost like I I have no desire even to focus on 9-11 because what we have now is so much worse. What we have now, what our government and media and culture and society has done to this civilization is what the terrorists would have dreamt of doing but could have never done. Making us cower in fear and panic. Making us, you know, regard our fellow man as, as as a liability. And most importantly, they hate our way of life, our liberty. And they couldn't take it away from us. I, I know, I understand people talk about the Patriot Act. And in some ways, there's legitimate reason to believe that that sowed the seeds of the ability for government to really get into our privacy. And that's reverberating very much today with the mandatory quarantines and surveillance and everything. But at the end of the day... Outside of airports, not much changed. We be, we lived freely. Businesses weren't shut down. Maybe you know schools kind of shut down that day, <laughs> but we went back in New York City. They went back, despite not just the um <clears throat> the attack and fear of attack, but just the reverberation of the pollutants and the ash and everything that was going on there for you know in a big chunk of Manhattan for uh, weeks, not not even days. And people stood up to their fear. It was a country we were all proud of. Those of us that were more like my age that never knew an America of Reagan's era, certainly earlier, 
And we felt throughout the 90s, America had become, you know, with Bill Clinton, decrepit values, progressivism was really taking root. That really was a good shot in the arm. That resurgence of patriotism. I think we all remember that. Um, you know, people kind of 35 to 40 years old, um, there's there's a group of them that probably became more patriotic, more conservative as a result of that. People right around the age where you'd sign up for military service, you know, around my age, and a lot of people did. But the key point is, we didn't turn into China. We didn't turn into our enemies. We lived free. I think of how there were a lot of moments where you got you know chills down your spine, whether it's that famous uh, bullhorn speech from George Bush that, that we played at the beginning, whether it's him throwing out the first pitch at the World Series, which was in New York itself. And I, and I thought back to uh, Lee Greenwood when he sang God Bless the USA at that World Series. Those famous lyrics, I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Because the flag still stands for freedom. And they can't take that away. They can't take that away. The flag still stands for freedom. And indeed it did. Indeed it did. The spirit of America was for liberty, freedom. And yes, we wanted revenge. And people feared us. They feared us not just because of what they thought we would do externally, but because of our character internally. What was waning over the last, over the preceding years and maybe even decades, almost reached a World War II level of, damn, America, wow, like, don't, don't screw with us. It, it was truly a great time to be alive, and, and don't take that the wrong way, certainly not, you know, the people that, that you know, were lost tragically. But I'm talking about the, the spirit following the attacks. It really was a great time to be alive because it was enough that activated us. It was enough to put us on alert. And, and, and you could say people were fearful, but I think now we know what fear is. You could say government was kind of heavy-handed, but I think now we know what heavy-handedness is. Now we know what tyranny is. It was nothing like that. We lived free lives in our schools, our churches, our businesses, walking free air without a freaking mask. And again, any failure there afterwards was a policy failure to not properly channel that <clears throat> patriotism, to fight the Muslim Brotherhood networks in America, put a moratorium on that type of, a type of immigration, to kick out terrorists from this country, and do surgical strikes where we need to, but not own other people's dumpster fires <clears throat> and betray the patriotism of all the people who signed up for the military <clears throat> by putting Afghanistan and Afghani people and Iraqi people before America. You look now and it's unbelievable. We can never recover from this degree of anarchy and tyranny. What the corona cult has done to us is what the terrorists could have never done to us. 
Likewise, if you look at the other half of what we're dealing with, the rioters, the racial supremacism, the bowing the knee not to God, but to fellow man, simply because of the color of their skin. That is something the terrorists never got us to do. Yes, we didn't have other bombings, although we did have some bombings, but not of that magnitude. But you look at photos and videos of Minneapolis and Kenosha, sure looks like a terrorist attack. Because you know what? It was a terrorist attack. We have domestic terrorists, Antifa, BLM, running loose, escaping justice, escaping the law. That sense of justice that we had after 9-11, that sense of right and wrong has been lost. And it's all internally. You can't rid yourself of that. We all wondered if we'd ever be hit again, and, and we certainly thought we would. But we weren't hit, in at least not in that way, that magnitude. <laughs> but what we did do is hit ourselves much worse than anything we could have imagined. <laughs> think, think about your worst nightmare. I don't know, a nuclear attack, this and that. Could you have ever thought a time where it would engender having to walk around with a mask your whole life, shut down schools, children living in fear, your own fellow men in government treating you like a criminal while treating domestic terrorists like heroes. It's it's truly unbelievable. It's something that you need to think about and commemorate. If nothing else, we need to remember today that that flag still does stand for freedom. And they took it away. And now we have to grab it back. Similar to my message on July 4th. Like I said, this year we're not going to celebrate independence because we don't have it. We have to remember what we did have and resolve to fight again to get it back. The hijackers are in that cockpit. What are we going to do about it? The hijackers aren't external. You know, when this whole thing started, there were a lot of comparisons to China or China and coronavirus to to 9-11. You know, like China did did this to us. And I, I even talked about that a little, but as time wore on and the tyranny grew, I no longer cared about China. China is a big looming threat and it's a big problem. Much bigger problem, really, than Islamic terror, if you think about it. But China's really only a problem because we are the problem. China's whole... um, Their whole power stems from using our own weaknesses, our own self-immolation, our own disdain for our country. And when I say our, I don't mean you guys, but our government, our political elites, using it against us. I don't care about China. Was it in a lab? Was it not in a lab? How long did they know about it and didn't tell anyone? At this point, based on what we know about how the virus spreads, it doesn't matter. It's what we have done to ourselves. China couldn't have done that to us. We did it to ourselves. This really dovetails very well with yesterday's riveting show with Dr. Mark McDonald, 
child psychiatrist, talking about what it does to fellow man. 9-11 brought out the best in most people. This has brought out the most sadistic side in many people. But folks, it's not 19 years. I mean, 19 years is a long time. It's not an eternity. It's an entire generation that doesn't remember it or wasn't even alive, was very young. There's 19 years worth of people who did live through it and likely lived through and maybe even fought in World War II that are no longer with us. But there's still enough people that get it. They remember that spirit. And there's no reason we can't rekindle that spirit again. It's lurking there. We need a galvanizing moment. Are we going to stand for people snitching on fellow men and health departments being turned into police, shutting down churches, shutting down businesses and schools? Are we going to tolerate putting our kids in cages? Are we going to tolerate the emasculation? And that, that, that's really, I mean, what happened was a resurgence of manliness in this country. What we have today is emasculation. Again, think about, I want you guys to, to take my words today and add to them. Post messages on our Facebook pages, Miniman Speak Easy, Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary. Email me at dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Your, your insights to this. Make your own contrast. You'll see there's many of them, and they're powerful. It's one end of the spectrum to the other. Emasculation to courage. Panic and fear versus resolve. Patriotism. And now we're told it's patriotic to be fearful and panicky and disdainful of fellow man and to walk around like a nutcase with something that every every medical professional said before it became political that you're actually going to spread more germs that way. I think this is the lesson we need to take out from today. Obviously, certainly to remember those patriots on Flight 93, the New York firefighters that, um, I mean, you, you saw the looks on their faces, all those documentaries, the live footage. So many of them knew they weren't coming back. I mean, they knew it was a suicide mission. Um, it's really it's really one of the forgotten, I mean, everyone knows it, but I don't think people think deeply enough about it, that when we saw those images, I, I know the first thing I had in my mind was 20, 30, 40,000 people dead. And the fact that it only wound up being, you know, somewhere around 2,500 in New York was truly remarkable. It was truly remarkable. And while it almost looks like they failed, the buildings came down. Several hundred of those firefighters, including the fire chief, were killed. But their direction, they're directing people, they're clearing of entry and exits. They really saved a lot more people than the number of firefighters who died. So that, that, that was extraordinary. And I think 
what we learned is that while we have a government that is tailor-made to a lot of the people in this country, while a lot of people in this country deserve the government they get, we still have a lot of people in this country for which our governing class and our government is undeserving of. In other words, there's a lot of people in this country who are still a lot greater and have a lot greater potential in terms of what they could achieve, what they're willing to sacrifice for fellow man than what's reflected in the values of our government, our media, our subculture, subhuman culture promoted in Hollywood and elsewhere. Now, one of the things we didn't have back then that I think really made the difference was social media. I mean, there is no way we could ever get that back again. And and again, I'm just being realistic. Um, and because of social media exacerbating the existing divide in the country, the notion that you're going to save the whole country at this point, I, I don't understand. I don't see a path to doing that. But right now, we have so much tyranny in this country. We're talking about moving to Sweden. I mean, think about it. We're looking to Sweden for guidance. Could you imagine post 9-11, Sweden was like the paragon of, of Islamism, Arabia, you know, the whole European Islamic business. America was like, we're not going to take this garbage. Look at how the roles have flipped in just one generation. We don't have anywhere to go. We need to create at least part of America where we could go to where that flag, which will certainly keep, still stands for freedom and where we set up a civilization in a form of government where we could say with confidence that they can't take that away again as they, as they have done. What you have with the rock gut in this country, the domestic terrorism, the unequal treatment of fellow man based on race, the black supremacism, which certainly most blacks in America don't want, don't desire, don't push for, mainly pushed by white liberals, the corona fascism, the lack of privacy, the lack of bodily autonomy. And then you go to the courts. Do you know how ironic it is today? The courts are out there saying, I'm sure you've seen, that Trump cannot discount illegal aliens in, this, in the census. Imagine a court saying, someone breaks into your house, they get a vote in, in what your household does. They get to distort the census, flood an area, and get more reapportionment, more representation in Congress, electoral votes, based on people who break into our country. You must count illegal aliens in a census. And the Trump administration certainly will listen to that, as they always do. You have another judge. Another judge. So we talked about how you know we have all these... All this suicidal immigration since 9-11. And basically, a federal judge ordered the release of a 73-year-old Somali-American woman sentenced to prison in 2013 
for providing aid to Al-Shabaab. I think she said she's worried about coronavirus because she's old. Could you have ever imagined living during 9-11 and the aftermath, that period of time, that there would come a day when a federal judge could say, there's a virus lurking around, so we're going to take a terrorist immigrant and let her go. And how much do you want to bet she won't be deported? You can't recover from a civilization where you have no democracy. We literally have no democratic republic. Antifa judges could do what they want, and the other branches regard that as the law, even if it's antithetical to every tenet of law in the Constitution. Learn values, prudence, common sense, Declaration of Independence. Think about the Declaration of Independence, stolen sovereignty. The foundation of the social compact is that we form a society voluntarily, and then the members of that society get to determine the destiny of the society. No others could do that unless we consensually admit them based on our terms and they become a voting member of that society. The notion that people could break in, get standing in court, force us to give them citizenship, force us to give them benefits, welfare, schooling for their children, birthright citizenship for their children, and be counted in our census. Again, folks, these are the things that the terrorists could never do to us. Worse comes to worse, they could kill some bodies, which is, which is tragic, but they can't kill our souls. That's something only we can do to ourselves. And we're doing that without any help. These are the questions and the thoughts I think all of us need to ponder on a day like today. We need to look back and, and, and look in the mirror, look at ourselves. I'm speaking to myself as well. I'm not pointing fingers today. That I think we've all lost our resolve. What is going to be that galvanizing moment? That catharsis? Or is there one? Is there any point to which we will react? Because again, this is not, the reaction here is not, hey, let's go to Afghanistan and find, you know, where the Taliban are, where the, where, where Al-Qaeda is. Let's go find bin Laden. Let's go find ISIS. Let's go send some soldiers to Somalia. Or even dealing with China. That certainly is something we need to do. But remember, China is only a problem because of the enemy within. You know, speaking of immigration, how, again, homeland security is all about immigration policy. It's all about letting the threats into your country. So it was announced, and, and this is good news, it was announced earlier this week that the State Department canceled visas of more than 1,000 Chinese nationals deemed security risks. But the question is, if you found over a thousand, and we know we let in several hundred thousand on stu foreign students every year, student visas, we let in, we give like 80,000 Chinese green cards a year, other visas as well. 
if those are the ones we found, what are the ones we haven't found that have penetrated the highest levels of government, business, engage in trade theft, espionage, counterintelligence gathering? But again, even that, it's not like China found a way to get a plane and fly over here and crash into a building. It's because we let them in. It's because of our values, our government's values that are rotten to the core. Trump had a promise of America first, and I think it really brought a resurgence of that. And I think in many ways, Trump's message, at least, was really going back to the original message of 9-11 where we went off track. It was like, wait, wait a minute, this is not about like randomly going to war with random places and And it's not even war, it's it's social work and nation building. It's about putting us first. You know, if that means we're going to bomb you and, you know, have some sort of a war, then we'll we'll do it if need be. Um, But it means we look out for our, our own interest. That's not selfishness. The job of a government is to look out for its own people. Giving up stuff like, oh, I feel bad. I feel like we need to give more Chinese visas. We need to give more Somalis visas. That is not your America and your security to give away. You could do that with your own house. You want to let in riffraff, you you could do that. And then again, you, you, you look at the anarchy. We had ordered liberty in this country. Peace and freedom for law-abiding Americans and deterrent against crime. You, you you look at our crime, our you know, forget about terrorism, just our criminal justice mindset. That was the Giuliani era. I mean, before Giuliani be, kind of became like Giuliani, if you know what I mean. But um, in New York, this time, 19 years ago, you you would have been scared about Muslim terrorists running around, which which still is a problem, but not because you know of foreign policy. It's because of immigration policy and PC on the Muslim Brotherhood, which which by the way, even four years into this administration, still still uh, permeates every level of the of DHS, State Department, DOD, and other branches of government, even the White House. People that were downright behind nine eleven, like Anwar Al-Awlaki being invited several months later into the Pentagon that his disciples flew a plane into. But you would have been scared in New York and elsewhere, but certainly in New York, of terrorism. What you weren't scared of back then was crime. Now in New York, you're scared that some thug is going to beat you. You have an article out today. It seems like every one of these videos, like clockwork, these heinous videos that you see like, vulnerable elderly people women just being beaten by by these thugs and it's caught on camera and usually brazenly in broad daylight you look at them and you're like you know it's a repeat offender and then you find out it's a repeat offender who is just every one of them within a month or two was released so this guy that um was caught he was like riding on a bike and he goes out of his way to ride up to an elderly woman and punches her in the face. Now, it's actually an interesting story apropos for 9-11. You saw in the video four firefighters happened to see it, and they chased the guy down and held him there. 
you know, again, you know, New York firefighters are some of the greatest people alive. So it's a good tribute to them on, on this day. But they caught this guy, and it turns out he had 18 prior arrests, was just arrested a few weeks ago for stabbing someone. Now, you might think, well, you have eight, this is your 18th arrest, and you're stabbing someone. How are you let go? Well, you're not let go because Osama bin Laden forced us to do that, or China forced us to do that. They're let go because of the enemy within. De Blasio, Cuomo, but frankly, the Republicans and Jared Kushner who bought onto the same values and either join into it or at least turn a blind eye to what the Democrats are doing and don't properly combat them. And now we're left with a New York where there's no longer really a fear of terrorism from external forces, but we have what I would call nothing short of domestic terrorism. Thugs that, that could just run around and beat people with impunity, knowing they're never going to face justice. That is the country we live in today. I would give anything to turn the clock back 19 years. The values of the country. And again, it's funny saying that because, you know, if you lived at the time, the homosexual agenda certainly was growing and everything, but still, compared to now, the values, the security the understanding of what's a real constitutional right. The courts were bad, not this bad. Yes, government did certain things that infringed upon our liberty, but it was noted at the time that, you know, with the airports, it's almost like you have no rights. You're like, you're confined. You have to sit, you know, shut up. You can't do anything. Now our entire existence is like that, except it's worse. Because now you have to have your face gagged. Whereas before, even in in an airport, you didn't. So these are all, I just think, the very profound thoughts that need to motivate us. I I could hear that Lee Greenwood song just playing back in my, my ears. We need to have that spirit rekindle our soul. Or have we just given up? Have we just given up? And I'm warning you, you know, whatever happens, maybe, maybe the Democrats winning will be that galvanizing moment. I don't know. I'm not hoping for it. I'm not saying I'm, I want Biden to win, but maybe that's what we need. Maybe at least we could finally have a national divorce and rekindle that in in, in half the country. I'll take a few States even where we could live with these values. We don't have them, really. That's what we need to look towards. Again, it's just so sad that 9-11 doesn't even seem like a big event. We always would talk about how, you know, when we commemorate an anniversary, how 9-11 changed our lives forever. I mean, it did in a subtle way, but but in a practical way, day to day, it really didn't. If you think about it, this did. Boy, did this change our lives, and it will be forever if we don't learn to fight back. You know, you look at what could have been. What could have been? You look towards Sweden. Sweden is basically close to being over with this. You know, 
Sweden has the lowest infection rate right now on the planet because they did they 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 didn't try to slow it down. They knew they had enough hospital space. They had the deaths they were going to get, and now they're over with it. Their spirit is intact. Their mental health is intact. And there you go. They're now down below Denmark and Norway in terms of cases. But here we are now scared of a cold. We are now destroying the lives of our, our, of our children. And, and, and by the way, here's the thing. You might have seen the article from the UK Daily Mail yesterday. More evidence coronavirus had spread to the West before China came clean. LA doctors find evidence and may have been circulating in the US months before. Okay? And, you know, obviously we know this. We've, we've presented a lot of evidence that this is true. We've seen this throughout the world, different countries. Um, but basically, you look at this and we were living with this virus just fine, just like we always lived with stuff before the media destroyed us. And basically, they're looking over medical records and they found like, you know, yeah, there were some people who died from it and we likely had it. But you know what? We lived with it. What the media doesn't tell you can't hurt you. So I think that's really important, really important lesson. And again, who would have ever thought we draw our inspiration from Sweden? It's it's truly unbelievable. But but here you are. You know, Sweden is now taking a victory lap as they should. Over the past week, the country carried out more than 120,000 tests. Only 1.3% were positive. John Carlson, an epidemiologist and director of public, the public health agency, said that the Swedes seem to be benefiting from widespread immunity because of the decision not to order the population to stay at home during the first wave. Our strategy was consistent and sustainable. We probably have a lower risk of the virus spreading than other countries. And there you go. Only seven people died in Sweden over the past week. And remember, in Sweden, they have a definition that anyone who dies 30 days after a uh, positive test is considered... um, to have died from it, if you again, if you look at their excess deaths, it really tells a different story. It really does. Um, you look at their excess deaths, and it almost doesn't register. So, if you look at deaths per hundred thousand, the all-cause deaths per hundred thousand, the first thirty-three weeks of any given year of the last five years, so deaths per hundred thousand. First 30, 33 weeks of the year, right? Because we're still in the middle of 2020. And you look, it's truly remarkable. You look at 2015, they had 593,000 deaths per 100,000. First 33 weeks, 593. Five years later, it's 588. It's actually a little bit lower. Now, again, in 2016, it was 565. 2017, 576. 
2018-570. So, you know, it's been it's been a little lower. It's been a little lower, but then again, you know, it can't be too extraordinary if five years ago they had a higher deaths per capita than this year. But then 2019, here's the interesting thing. 2019, last year, they only had 528. So if you chart it, you'll see a drop. So this really lends credence to that whole, you know, dry tinder theory. In other words, the theory that Basically, you have to look at excess deaths from respiratory viruses, pneumonias, over the course of maybe a five-year window. And in a five-year window, there's people that are either in their 80s and 90s or they're otherwise maybe a little younger, but at the end of their lives, no matter what happens, they're within a few months, um, a year, maybe at most a few years then their life. And a certain number of those people wind up dying from pneumonias. Just That's just the reality. It always happens when you hear people dying of old age or or they had an underlying cancer or or heart or alzheimers but ultimately what exactly takes them it's often some sort of a pneumonia and you know these these viruses tend to kill there's a pool of vulnerable people like that that it kills and it's a seesaw in other words it's tragic if you have one year that seems like there's a lot but sometimes you know when you look at excess deaths, you can't even look at a year. Oh, well, you know, did, did this year do we have more deaths than usual? You have to look how it evens out over five years. Because if you look, for whatever reason, 2019 was a very weak death year. Probably mainly because it was almost a non-existent flu season in Sweden. So if you actually look, it, it just it's really just clearing out a backlog of of the angel of death's, you know, list. That's really what it is. If you look, it's a remarkable chart um, that that I've seen put out. Some guys have put it out over the web. Um, You really average it out from 528, it goes to 588, right? So if you average that out between the two years, 2019, 2020, you get a death rate of what? You know, 558? That's actually below the preceding four years. If you average out the last two years. So that's pretty remarkable. And again, you know, we don't have that much time to get into data. Today was more, you know, philosophical, maybe an emotional show. But I do want to say that if I'm wrong, I'll have egg on my face and I'll admit I'm wrong. Um, But I'm actually predicting that we will have a weak, a very weak flu season this year. Now, let me be very careful. I'm not saying that means you won't have an average or maybe even above average number of cases. But what I'm saying is it only results in serious illness and death in a certain vulnerable population. And what I'm saying is COVID cleared that out. So while it's sad, just keep in mind, if if what I believe to be true winds up happening, it will average out and it will really put a different spin on this. You, know, you look at what's going on, undeniably, even if you factor in the inflation and the bogus deaths and yada yada, there's no question, and we all agree, there's excess deaths beyond a flu season. Again, most of those are almost exclusively at the end of their life, one way or another. But what I'm saying is, 
my prediction is if you look at this, if you look at the next year or two, it will look even less than that in terms of a calamity. Again, the Spanish flu you can't miss because it's the equivalent of 2.2 million deaths in one year in today's population, and the median age of death was 28. You can't miss that. But if you have, again, a pool of people that are pretty much it's their time to go, and over a course of five years, flus and pneumonias take them to varying degrees, you can't look at an individual year alone. You have to look at it in totality. Now, look, if we wind up having an average or serious flu season for the next few years, then it will be a lot more tragic because then it will be on top of that. But watch out for it. Now, you might have all the warnings you know, when they discover the flu in November. Oh my gosh, people have the flu. Yeah, people are certainly going to get the flu. But how many deaths are we going to have from the flu? I am willing to make a prediction now based on my research that it will be another below. And, and by the way, it has been that way the last two years. Last two years, you know, three years ago was a big deal. That was, that was a pandemic flu. Then we had two very light years. So if you have a third light year after this, you average it out with the COVID year. And, you know, again, you'll have some excess deaths. But my gosh, the magnitude to which we've blown it out of proportion. But anyway, I just wanted you guys to know that. You might hear from a lot of people, well, you know, Sweden, you're right, they did better than the southern countries, but maybe they weren't destined to have that many deaths. The Nordic countries didn't seem to have them. They did worse than the other Nordic countries. But, you know, first of all, it's not over for the other countries, but it appears to be over for Sweden. That's number one. Number two, as we said, they have more of a metropolitan population density area in Stockholm than Copenhagen, uh, Reykjavik, Oslo, or uh, Helsinki. And number three, there's actually a lot of factors. There's more than that, but off the top of my head, they have the big immigrant population. It seems like it really disproportionately hit them, um, as we've seen in other you know parts of the world. And but but finally, ultimately, you look at the um, average age of death is even higher than the median age of death is even higher than in the U.S. You look at those excess deaths and you level it out over five years. It's 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 literally non-existent. It's non-existent. And, and even without leveling it out, averaging it out over a course of a few years, we downright had a year five years ago in Sweden that had more deaths, slightly more per capita. That's pretty remarkable. But this is the new threshold for panic and fear. This is the country we have allowed ourselves to become. And this is what's happening in all our schools now where kids live in fear and a kid getting the flu is reason now to lock him up, lock up the carpool, lock up the class, lock up the family, then the government knows about it. It, it, it is just, it's, it's shocking. We have been attacked this year. This is domestic terrorism. It's domestic terrorism with the rioting. It's domestic terrorism with the black supremacism. It's domestic terrorism with the courts giving rights that don't exist to some while taking away inalienable rights of all. It's domestic terrorism with the surveillance, with the mask wearing, with the snitching. 
It's got to stop. None of us said after 9-11 that, oh my gosh, this is not a country we want to live in. We want to evacuate from here. We wanted to stay and fight. Now we have a country where we must question, is it even worth fighting for? Well, for now we have no choice. Whatever the answer to that question is, we got to fight. The plane has been hijacked. Those hijackers might wear a jersey that says Republican or Democrat. They might, but they might be anti-Trump, but they might be in the Trump administration as well. We have to get beyond that. We need to look at what people like Todd Beamer did. Internalize and eternalize the lessons of those who fought back, of those who ran towards the cockpit, those who ran towards the burning buildings. We have no choice. They've come for the muscle and guts and blood of this country. This is no longer something we can do without. Well, you know, it's kind of fascistic at airports these days. Okay, that's what it was after 9-11. This is every aspect of our lives. We have to step out of our comfort zone. We need to start organizing patriot groups at a local level to push back against the COVID cult, the fascism, the anarchy. It's got to start with our local officials browbeating them. Elections is part of it, but certainly just only the beginning. We need to be loud and proud. And we need to make sure that if we really believe our flag still stands for freedom, that we're going to do everything we can to make sure we get it back and then make sure they can never take it away. With that, let's roll. Let's fight. Till next week, God bless y'all. May God keep us safe and may God keep us free.